This is a third message on the book of Deuteronomy, Looking Back, Moving Forward. Today's title is Gaining Perspective, based on Deuteronomy chapters 2 and 3, spoken by Paul Duncan at Oakland International Fellowship in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the book of Deuteronomy is just another exciting, uh, I would say, encounter, opportunity to meet God. I mean, the whole Bible is speaking about how God is calling us to himself, how God is revealing himself that he could input his love, his kindness into the fabric of our lives, our families, our society. Now, Deuteronomy has a special way of doing that. Um, All the books of the Bible are doing that. The purpose of Deuteronomy especially is to remind God's people of his faithfulness and kindness so that they together embrace God's future for them. So Deuteronomy, in one sense, we're looking back. First chapters of Deuteronomy, including what we're looking at today, is, is looking back because God has a special way of helping us to formulate and to come to that commitment that we need to make to go forward in what he has for us. And it's not just something individually. Deuteronomy, in a special way, is, is, addresses us as a community of God's people. He's calling all of us to make, in one sense, a similar uh, kind of commitment in our lives that we can all move together forward to accomplish what he has in our life. Today we're going to be talking about gaining perspective, the importance of gaining perspective for our own lives so that we can make those right commitments from Deuteronomy chapter 2 to 3. A lot of verses we're going to focus on, but we have one theme, and that's gaining a perspective, trying to understand how we need to come and understand our life so that we can make those commitments. In particular, in chapters 1 through 4 of Deuteronomy, we're looking at how to reconnect with God's purpose. In other words, God has his great divine will, his purpose, right? And we're busy with our own life, you know, I'm burdened. I get so many studies and reports and projects and, you know, we just had a baby, we're... um, I'm not speaking about ourselves, but, you know, just examples in our own life, you know. Maybe how can I get that promotion? And, you know, all these things are happening in our life. But how do I tie what God's doing with my life? God is so interested in doing that. Now, one of the things that we find in the book of Deuteronomy, and we'll discuss that a little bit more, is that God is trying to work with us and bringing us back to where we should be. Deuteronomy 1, we were talking more about the wandering heart, where God can bring us close to him, and yet we can also stray. Well, Deuteronomy 2 to 3 will bring a surprising message to our lives. Now, all through this time, though, I want us to think in in the back of our mind how God is doing that with us. Each generation has its opportunity to understand and join God in his greater purposes. Each generation has its opportunity to understand and join God in his greater purposes. God wants to do great things like he demonstrated through the life of Jesus. And this is no separate generation. We ourselves have this opportunity because we are in this one generation that's still living. That that listen and turn can turn to God and see his mighty works in our midst. There is, I have no doubt that God wants to, in the same way, in a greater way, Jesus said, to be able to see God's work done through us as his people, as we commit 
ourselves to him. And yet, at the same time, each generation, including us, face that tension between their love for God and their love for the world. That tension is ongoing and is always calling us to commit ourselves, recommit ourselves to God's purpose. Even as the world is calling us, or, and we use the word tempting us, to turn to itself as that is the solve for all of our emotional or personal needs. And so we come back down to what is our response in our life. Usually I throw the application down at the end, and I will, but I want us to understand this is what Deuteronomy is all about. It's confronting us with our own life choices, what we're doing. But I want us to understand what God's greater purpose is that he's opening up the whole door to us to see you can have anything that you ask in my name, Jesus says. And so our response, what are you asking? What are you looking? What is he doing? All those things stand before us as we reconnect with God's purpose. Let's continue as we pray. Lord, it is just so amazing that you would care about us, that you would work in our lives. We're just so excited, Father, that you would today, through this time, speak to our hearts, that you would bring us to that point of commitment, Lord, that we would be willing, we would be desirous, we would write our names right there on that sheet of paper that would bring us to that commitment to say, whenever, wherever, whatever it calls, that we are there. Oh, Lord, thank you for your grace. Now, Lord, we ask that you would indeed bind the evil one Open up our hearts to the ministry of the truth of God in our lives. We all the more might glorify your name in heaven. In Jesus we pray. Amen. My wife and I uh, just had an opportunity to celebrate our 30th uh, wedding anniversary. Uh, we went to Williamsburg, uh, Pennsylvania. It's an interesting place. Uh, Virginia, thank you. What did I say? Pennsylvania? And I need my wife as a good helper here. Uh, otherwise, I'll lead you all astray here. No, don't look for it in Pennsylvania. To Virginia, to Virginia. And uh, one of the interesting things is go back to the year 1776 and try to help you understand what it was like in that little colony. Actually, at that time, it was the capital uh, of what society was like. And... Uh, Going from the visitor centers into the whole area, they would have one walkway. This is uh, not the real walkway, but the walkway was like this. You, you would walk through, before you reached like the plantations and the people all in costume, uh, they would have this a pathway, and on the pathway itself, uh, you are actually stepping back in time. And they have these uh, bricks uh, saying what, what would happen uh, in, say, 1940. Uh, nobody would be watching TV, for example. Uh, what would it be like in 1800s uh, if you were living? Uh, what would it be back in 1770 and 1776? And all the way back, and, and as they take you back in time, all of a sudden you say, well, now you're here in the 1776. And to see uh, 1774, you know, during that time, that actually uh, the, the, there was a uh, king that was over there ruling them. So it's a whole different kind of concept bringing you back and then you step, of course, into the big city there. Deuteronomy is like that. At least these early chapters where we're reconnecting with God's purpose because the way he does that is to bring us back into history. 
Now, if we look carefully at Deuteronomy 2 and 3, if you would, please open your Bibles. I cannot read all these verses today. Um, it, these two large chapters are before us, and we're just trying to discuss all these. But if you would look through them or glance at the titles that you might have on your pages, you will see that he's talking about all these different things. Now, these things, by the way, are not their current uh, time. These are things that have happened to them. This is for them, their past, that he's talking about in chapters 2 and 3. For us, we are actually stepping back into time, but also for the people that Deuteronomy is originally written to, they are also stepping back in time. And so what God is doing is reshaping history, how they need to think about it, to know of his faithfulness, to know of his power, to know of his love and purpose, so that they can be strengthened in their commitment to serve God. And so for us, as God has preserved these chapters for us, God is doing the same thing. He has given us a picture of how we need to look at what happened in time so that we can rightly live out what he wants in our own lives. This is uh, actually a picture from Google Earth and uh, just of uh, modern day, you know, Israel. It hasn't changed. The Red Sea is still there up at the top. No, wait, it's way over there. That's the Dead Sea up at the top. Down at the bottom in the middle would be the Gulf of Quaba. I, I don't have that there. It's, it's just at the ports there. But on your left, the Sinai Peninsula there, and on the right, today we'd have the Arab countries and things. And up in north uh, would be where Israel was. Uh, they wandered all about that place. And uh, we read in chapter 1 about Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was uh, the original plan, you might say, where God was going to take them up to, through Mount Sinai to meet God, to have the first covenant, you know, the Ten Commandments. And there they were empowered, envisioned, equipped to know God, to know of his great power that he could actually give, him, give them what he was saying the promised land. Because after all, it was God leading them out of Egypt to the promised land. God was doing something with his people. But in Kadesh Barnea, something very significant happened, as we said, we read in Deuteronomy 1, whereas actually God's people failed to believe that God would or could lead them into the land. Fear overtook their lives in such a way that God's plan disappeared. They couldn't see. So when a door that was open, all of a sudden, God closed it. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words, and he was angry, and took an oath, saying, Not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers. Not one of them. This evil generation. Their unbelief, their unwillingness to do what God wanted, brought God to make an actual oath. And that open door all of a sudden was closed tight. And they could not go through it. They tried, remember? But God shut that door tight. And they never could. Never could. Deuteronomy is the second law. Literally from the Latin, deuteros and onomy. The second law. In other words, God reinstitutes this law, makes a new covenant with God's people. And this is what really humbles my heart when I think about what he's doing here. If you had a difficult people like this you were trying to help out, in your kindness, spending your money, your time, trying to help out these people, and they said, we don't want it, we don't trust you, forget it. 
And you say, okay, I forget you. But this is not what God did, you see. What God did was make another door, create a second covenant, another way to get into the promised land. This is what he did. And so it wasn't with that one generation, but he was going to work with their children, patiently, kindly. Now these children, what does this mean? These stand for us, okay? We are the ones with the wandering hearts. We might come from a Christian family and, and uh, you know, we heard our parents talk about Christ and we, yeah, we go to church, we read our Bibles, we might pray even. But we're just those people kind of wandering about. You're not really committed in our own lives. Uh, well, let's think of this door for you to say, wow, I, I want to enter God's promises. I just don't want to be around God's people. I want to be God's people. I want God's promises in my own life. We might think of it, well, I never grew up in a, church, uh, in, in a Christian family, but, you know, I'm here in church, and I'm, I'm, I'm with God's people. I like being around here, and, but I don't really know what it is to go into that door. Well, this is a door for you, a door to actually see God's promises, his love open to you for you to step in. This is what the book of Deuteronomy is all about, giving us, in one sense, a second chance bringing us to that point of commitment to the better things in life. There is no doubt what God was offering here was like one of these great utopias that we would dream about, that people write about, and uh, perhaps make movies about. It's, it's what brings us into our dreamland, that deep desires within of peace, uh, no, nobleness, virtue, kindness, uh, caring for people. This is all that God wanted and what God was bringing his people. It's the way God was doing that. How was God going to bring them from Kadesh Barnea, the closed door, to the open door? As we understood, it up to the point of Kadesh Barnea took about two years from Egypt into Kadesh Barnea. Then it would take another 38 years to get to that door. The reason is very clear, because that first generation had to die off. I want us to reflect on the past. <laughs> this is not out of your science fiction book. My friend shared with me once, uh, he's the president of a Christian ministry here in uh, Pittsburgh that reaches out largely to inner city. And he has a box. And one day when I was, I've been pr I prayed with him, uh, about weekly, I think, or bi-weekly for, for many years. But one time you talked about his box and the things that are in it. Because that, that's his um, miracle box for his ministry. And in that box were different things, clues of what God did in the past. And uh, at that time he didn't have so many things in it. He's been adding to that. This is a recent picture. He, I asked him to take a picture for me. What's in his box? But three things back then that I, I remember, and this is a, a number of years ago now, uh, the one was that little blue matchbox van in the front there, and, and that stood for a marvelous form of a van that God provided to transport the children they were ministering to. And uh, that was just reminded him, yeah, you remember that time we didn't have a way to help those children, but God provided that van. Another one was a, uh, a check, a photocopy of a check, uh, with a 10-digit uh, donation. And he explained how 
what happened was they had a board meeting and they, were, they had this new ministry on their hearts and yet the board was saying there is no way we could go forward into a ministry like that unless it was confirmed by God's provision. We want to be wise here. And at that very same moment, a check was being written and mailed and reached them uh, soon afterwards that had the, the you know, five digits, some tens of thousand dollars on there that was designated for this kind of ministry to initiate and start up. And there they saw God saying, yes, yes, this is what I want. Here's your provision. No problem for me. The third one was a little different type, but it's still very important. This is the big spider on the left. Wolf spider, I think. And uh, what happened was they have a camp, and uh, all these girls, uh, many of them, uh, you know, first time away from home, here they are in a camp, and they're going to learn about the Lord, and yet the, the, the cabin is full of these wolf spiders. They did everything, spraying, kicking out, you know, sweeping, everything to get rid of them, but nothing worked. And finally, uh, and maybe for the first time for some of these girls, they prayed somewhat desperately, God, would you get rid of these spiders? And God did it. God did it. It was a tremendous thing. And so these things are packed into this box here. I don't know how he fits that big spider in there anymore. But, uh, you know, I, but this is a history of what God was doing in their lives. This is what makes the ministry where it is today. God's special box of miracles. This is what he was doing for the Israelite people. This is what we will be going over shortly. But this is also what he has done in your life, if you dare look at not. God always has a special way of dealing with his people. Never the same. You never, never, never might be in that cabin with those spiders. But God indeed has a special way of bringing us to reflect on his hand, his faithfulness in our lives. So let me go on and uh, kind of connect us with Deuteronomy 1 and 2 a little bit more, and then we'll go on and look at the passages themselves. We talked about the Kadesh Barnea, but we also talked about the open door. Kadesh Barnea spoke about the severity of God. Deuteronomy 1. God says, no, you're not going in. In the 2 and 3, talk about the kindness of God. But I still want you the second generation, I want to take you in. I care for you. I want the best for you. You might not know it, but I know it. And that's what I'm trying to do. If you ever thought that you blew it so much that God forgot about you, that he doesn't want you, you can know that's not from the Lord. The Lord wants to draw, draw you to himself and to bless you. From Deuteronomy 7, 9 to 10, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with them who hates him. He will repay him to his face. On the one hand, God is severe. On the other hand, kindness. If at any point in your own life you say, wow, I did some terrible things, he's asking you to turn from those things now. Turn, and he will open up a door 
to restore and to work more special things in your life. That's God's extreme grace. And through this passage, we're going to be looking at the steps of grace. Now, let me just uh, quickly go through these. Uh, we will not in detail go through them all, but I do want to introduce them all so you understand the continuum, the flow of chapter 2 and 3. He will be first talking about how they were to pass through Edom. It's a country, by the way. Chapter 2, verse 8 to 18, pass through Moab, which is another country. We don't know about that country now. Uh, then we to pass through Ammon, which is uh, the capital uh, there, is still there, uh, Ammon. And uh, verses 19 to 23. They were to defeat King Sihon of Og, just north of Moab. That's chapter 2, 24 to 37. Uh, they were to defeat the king of Og of Bashan. That's chapter 3, verse 1 to 11. Uh, the distribution of the land, chapter 3, 12 to 20. And lastly, the handing over leadership, uh, verses 21 to 29. Now this seems like awful lot to discover and talk about. But I'm going to largely use maps and just kind of recount this a little bit. Here and there, I'll talk about some verses to help us understand. Uh, notice that the first three countries that they were to approach, they were not to conquer. They were not to harass. The second two would bring about victories. And lastly, it was some more administration issues. Again, we're going from Kadesh Barnea. What was the way to get there? These are the steps of grace the steps to get there. Our lives also have these steps of grace. Wherever we take a slice in our life now, we could always go back and see how God worked in my life to bring me where I was. If we look at another 10 years from now, we will also see steps that God was working to get us to where he wants to bring us, where he can bring his extreme grace into our lives. Remember Ephesians 1, 3? The God, the Father of all, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. And this is what God has for our lives. Now, to get there, perhaps it's a little more difficult. That's usually the question. I would like that, but how do I get there? This is what we're talking about today. So let's go on and see how we can gain more perspective as we look at these verses. Uh, 1 through 7. If you can, would you please read with me? These are from Deuteronomy 2, 1 to 7, the New American Standard Bible. Then we turned and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me and circled Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north and command the people, saying, You will pass through the territory of your brothers, the sons of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not provoke them, for I will not give you any of their land, even as little as a footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money, so that you may eat, and you shall also purchase water from them with money, so that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all that you have done. He has known your wanderings through this great wilderness these forty years. The Lord your God has been with you. You have not lacked a thing. So here in this first section, he finally says, all right, 38 years has been enough. The very last of them will die within a couple months after they cross over near the border of Moab. It says that in chapter 2. But here you notice he's talking about some names uh, you might recognize, 
but you might have heard about, but you're not quite sure. Uh, one of them uh, you should know is Esau. Remember Esau is who? Jacob's brother, right? Twin brother. He was the red hairy guy, okay? Well, God promised him uh, this land, and that land is called Edom. Edom is south of the Dead Sea, uh, and <clears throat> you know the Edomite people. It's around a mountain that's called Seir. Uh, if you, in a moment we'll be looking at that. And so what we find is that here, it's very clear though that God wanted them to pass through the land, but not to harass or harm them. They were to use money to buy. Now this is a whole nation moving about. This is not just uh, your family or a couple families together just traveling through a country, just want a visa, just want to go through. That's all they wanted, uh, but they were intimidated as a nation, uh, Edom, and they perhaps a little bit out of the past, they were thinking, yes, we've been tricked before by the Israelites, Israel, their father. Uh, remember Jacob, uh, Esau, you know, Israel uh, and Jacob was the same person. He's the one that tricked Esau or deceived, however you might want to say it. Uh, but in the end, uh, they were perhaps a little extra caution, and I don't blame them too much. But here they are. They started up here on the left. That's Kadesh Barnea. They would come down to the Gulf of Quaba, right there, Elat, in the south, and travel there. So notice the path. It goes down, and then it goes back up. Now, Edom, they wanted to travel all up through here because there's a king's highway that would go all the way up through the land. But the problem was Edom was right here, and they said, you cannot cross into our area. This is all Mount Slayer right there. Very hilly, very mountainous. Not a pleasant place to travel. So they had a special highway that was a trade route. Well, they would come down, but they were not allowed to cross Edom into this king's highway. So at this point, what they had to do was to go up this uh, low area, Arabah it was called, from the Dead Sea down into the Gulf. But it was a very dry and mountainous area, uh, difficult area, even though it was valley. It's very, very rough thing to cross. This is the place that the Israelites actually cried out to the Lord once. Do you remember they cried out, Lord, this is so difficult. It's, what, are you trying to kill us? No, this is recorded in Numbers. It is not recorded here, interestingly. God is in one sense reshaping how he wants them to think about their memories. He doesn't talk about this time when they rebelled and doubted him. Instead, how does it end? Remember Deuteronomy 7? 2 verse 7, it says, These 43 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have not lacked a thing. That was the time when they complained and God sent the serpents you know, to bite them. They started dying. You know? And they finally built up that bronze statue. You look at that bronze statue, you'll be healed. This is where it happened. In that desperately barren, dry area. They couldn't go through the land. Now, you see... They had the money, but Edom was not willing to do that, to give them money and to give them food. But God here 
shapes it, and it doesn't mention that story in the past about the failure, but instead shapes how he provided for them and had everything they needed. So God wants us to kind of, one sense, we have failures in our past, but he doesn't want us to dwell on those failures. We have failed, but God has taken care of us. And through our lives, when we look at the past, God wants us not to stare at the failures. They might be there. But come out and look at his faithfulness and the way he dealt with us through these years. Hopefully, you know, some of you are just migrating through Pittsburgh here as a student, and soon you'll be off. When you look back upon Pittsburgh and your three years here or your short job term here, and we hope this is a time when God's grace is especially speaking to you, helping you in your life. And that you see, yeah, you know, I did make some wrong decisions. But on the other hand, God has been so good to me. This is what God wants to bring to their memories. So instead of crossing through Edom, going up the King's Highway, they had to go through this difficult land. It looks like the same distance, but it was very, very difficult. After they travel up to the Dead Sea at the top there, you'll see that the red dotted line goes around. Again, they were not allowed to go through Moab, starting in verse 8. He speaks about that. Chapter 2, verse 8. He says, So we pass beyond our brothers, the sons of Esau, the Edomites, who live in Seir, away from the Arabah road, the one they walked up, away from Elath, from the, the bottom, and from Ezan Gebir. And we turned and passed through by the way of the wilderness of Moab. Now again, the king's highway went right through Moab, but they couldn't walk through that. Um, they had to go around Moab, as it says in Numbers 21, and go into Moab, uh, go along the river valleys, the borders between Moab and the northern country uh, there, Ammon, but not to harass any of them, never to trouble any of them. The neighbors were all scared and terrified. In one sense, it would seem to be the most obvious thing is just invade these countries, small countries, and take over them. But God was not. God says, I have other plans for them. So let's, uh, let me just read a part of this. Then the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab, nor provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land as possession, because I have given R to the sons of Lot as a possession. You might not understand who Moab was, but you probably have heard of Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. Remember after uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot left with his two daughters. His two daughters were hope hopeless, never think to ever find a man. So they did some illicit things with their father. And from that, two countries had their beginnings. One was Moab, the other was Ammon. These were the sons, or grandsons, you might say, of Lot. But these were the places that they were not to go into. So the King's Highway, they couldn't walk. They had to go up and down these rough valleys. Um, they were called wadis because usually there's no water in them unless it's been really pouring out lately, and then they fill up but it's only very short, and otherwise they're dry. So basically they were to walk around uh, Moab and to go, not to go into Ammon, but go into Sihon, 
the land of Heshbon. So let me just uh, speak about this a little bit and we will go on. Verse 2.19 says, And when you come opposite the sons of Ammon, do not harass them or provoke them. I will not give you any of the land of the sons of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot as a possession. God was blessing Abraham still through these sons. Even though later on, you know, because of sin, they always fought Israel. They never would really identify with God. They had their own cults and idols that God would later on judge. And yet God was patient. It was not time. You cannot think of God just wiping out people because he has not given considered them. You see God calculating, even making his people go through very difficult times with this difficult people here. But he gave them that land for a certain period, and that was going to be their land. I want us, you also notice, and we'll talk a little more, that it's God who says, I have given them this land. Now let's go on to two victories here. First of all, we see Sihon, the king of Heshbon, was not willing for us to pass through his land. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order to deliver him into your hand. In the last part of chapter 2, we find the first of the two victories where just north of Moab, there was a country that God directed them to go. They didn't, were not picking a fight. They were just going to go through the land because they were going into the promised land. But because of that, the king was very stubborn and came and, and attacked Israel. Now, what I want to talk about briefly here, because it's often not very understood, but it is used here often in the Bible, this phrase, hardening of the heart. Did you notice that here? The Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate. We sometimes are very concerned in our modern age whether this was a legitimate thing for God to do. Uh, we very much value individual freedom and feel infringed upon when anybody would, say, impose their will upon our will. Yet God, unapologetically, unashamedly, he doesn't hide it, he just tells you, this is what I did. I hardened his heart. What does that mean? Let me describe. I look at it like this because from other passages we find in the scripture, the hardening the heart is describing something that God does do in people's lives. But he does it in a way that we perhaps don't understand. I look at it as light and darkness. What happens when the sun goes down? What happens? Darkness comes in. Okay? This is what God does when he hardens the heart. He withdraws his grace and then evil comes in. God is constantly patient and kind to us. His mercy is over all his creation. But if at any point he would withdraw his mercy that he does not need to give, then the evil one would come in and make that very vicious and evil spot. You understand what's happening? The hardening of the heart is God just withdrawing his grace from a certain individual or people. And all of a sudden it becomes a place darkness dominates. He does this before judgment. He withdraws his grace so that his judgment might come in its fullness. It's a very biblical, there's a number of phrases that you can look at God withdrawing. If you look at that in concordance, let me just give one example from Ezekiel 5.11. Therefore, I will also withdraw and my eyes shall have no pity and I will not spare. It's what God does. He withdraws and the evil moves in. 
so in this sense, God is giving full reign to your lives. If in a practical sense, let's think of it this way. If God would, would, would withdraw his own grace from our life, what would we be like? We would be a terrible people. Very mean and vicious. Full of our own attempts to get our own desires. There would be strife and evil in this place. It is only God's mercy that you are where you are. Even if you are non-Christian, it does not make a difference. Still, it's God's grace that keeps you and I from having our own flesh dominate and rule us and bring us down into darkness. We have to understand that's the whole case. God was preserving. And when we see it this way, we step back and say, wow, why has God dealt with me so graciously? Why did I have a family that have morals and respects? Why am I brought up in a country? It's all God's kindness and his grace. If God gave us what we deserved, it would be just the withdrawal of his grace and his judgment, immediate judgment. The day that you sin, the day you eat of the fruit, you shall die. Anything beyond that is called mercy and grace. I also want to describe this phrase, gives the land. We are used of buying property. Uh, some of us own houses or lands or cars, perhaps, but he's talking about land here. But notice through this chapter 2, verse 5 and 9 and on, so let me read some of these. God says, I will not give you any of their land, referring to Edom. Verse, chapter 2, verse 9. For I will not give you any of their land, referring to Moab. Chapter 2, verse 19. For I will not give you any of the land to Ammon. Uh, chapter 2, 24. I have given Sihon, his land, into your hand. Okay, that's a little change. Chapter 3, 18. The Lord your God has given you this land to possess it. 19. Shall to remain in the cities which I have given you. And verse 20. They also possess the land which the Lord your God will give them beyond the Jordan. That means across the Jordan on the other side. Right now, they're still on the east side. They have not crossed it. That will be the climax of Deuteronomy just before they cross the Jordan into the promised land. Do you see what's here? God keeps talking about, I give land the way I want to give land. What is he saying? Well, basically he's saying, all land and property is mine. <laughs> Do you have a deed to this house? <laughs> well, yes. In a sense, it is a deed to your, you know, to the, it's yours, but it's actually to mine. I created it, thank you. Uh, I will let you live here, and you can call it your own, but just remember it's mine. You know, this kind of uh, perspective. I can take it away. I can give it to you. You can have it for 20 years if you like, um, but it's mine. You know? Now, he's not asking for tax on it, but he is asking for respect, if we would humble our hearts so much. I earn my, you know, so much, and this is my life. You know? But actually, God's saying, this is all mine. I am king of the earth. All everything belongs to me. And God is quite willing to say, this land will be your inheritance. That land will be yours. You have lived here for so long, like the land of Canaan. Earlier on, he gave a dream back in Genesis to Abraham, saying, no, this is not time for you to have this land, for the time of fulfillment has not yet come to the, those who are living within this land, the Canaanites. I would give them yet another 430 years. But one time you will come back here, your people will come back here, 
And that will be the full time when their judgment needs to come. In other words, he was angry with them, but he was being patient. That's his mercy. He would wait another full 400 years. Now, we live in the country of America. Not an old country. I mean, even compared to 400 years, we don't even have 300 years yet. And yet it already, it seems like God beginning to withdraw his grace from us. Because we are so obstinate and hard. We don't want to recognize that he owns the land, as we did when we first came here. No, not at all. So governments, in their reckless way, begin to have injustice. I'll give you a million dollars for spilling some hot coffee on me. You know, th this type of total injustice, where the people that really are need justice, the courts are full, sorry, we'll see you next two years, and these things are happening all over. But if we stand back and, and recognize, yes, if God is in charge, I suppose he can give the land as he wants to. It's up to him. The first is the fear out. He says, do not fear him. He's talking about the king of Og, okay? Talking to the Israelites. Don't fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. In other words, I have given it to you. But don't fear. That fear should go out from you, okay? Uh, but that fear should go in the king of Og and his people. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the peoples everywhere. Shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Do you see what happened? God says, you're my people. I'm taking care of you. You shouldn't have any fear. But I'm taking that fear. I'm going to put it in them. And they're going to be terrified. They're going to be in anguish. They're going to lose all their sense of confidence and, and reason. And they're going to be easy to wipe out. But notice, God wants their faith in his people. Faith in God who would provide for them. And that's the magical thing that God does in our life. He wants to take away all that fear and put faith in. Now you, no doubt, are facing different things in your own life. Some might be small things. Some might be big things. But God wants to be the God of them all. And whatever that small or big thing is, I want you to think about it right now. How much fear do you have? How much faith do you have? Faith means God is going to take care of it. I can trust him and be at peace. Fear means I'm at night, I'm wondering, oh no, what's going to happen? You know? Fear in relationships, well, I don't know what's going to happen here. Faith, it doesn't matter what's going to happen because God's taking care of me. I'm going to just love and be patient with that person. It's a total different way of approaching life and God's will. With fear, you will not be able to do God's will because you will have an unbelieving heart. With faith, that is belief. And that's what God wants to give each of us. In the end, we find that God gave them the land. They conquered those two places and became the land for two and a half tribes. So we look, took possession of from this land from Aroah, which is by the Valley of Arnon, that would be in the south of Reuben there. And half the hill country of Gilead, which would be where Gad is. And I gave the Reubenites and to the Gadites up in the north. So you can see Gad and Manasseh of the north, those three areas that he gave them. He gave them for this reason, to two and a half tribes. One was preservation. By some of them staying there during this time when they all the army would be required to go over to the Palestine, the whole army would have to go over. 
they would leave only the wives and children there with the livestock on this other side of the Jordan. On the left there is a, is a big, back then it was a bigger river called the Jordan River. But it would preserve the land. It would take care of the houses, take care of the crops, take care of the trees. Uh, Military-wise, uh, all of a sudden, it, it's a very significant factor when you hold these cities and land rather than just giving them up, conquering them and just leaving them vacant. Thirdly, it's, it's a model. A model for Joshua, a model for all the Israelites. Look what God did. They have never fought walled cities before. And in Deuteronomy 3, it says, wow, we even overcome these walled cities. God's really able to do that. See, they didn't have faith before. But it becomes a model for them to remind them in one sense, their miracle box of what God did for them. So they would not fear when God opened that door before them and says, all right, cross the Jordan. Would they really go in? It was also preventative. God did not want the tribes just to say, start arguing over whose land this was. He assigned them to two and a half tribes. This belongs to them. That meant they had to still go over and fight. It's always easy to kind of go back to the easier plan. Only do a little bit what God wanted. By assigning that just to the two and a half tribes, they all knew, no, they had to all move on. So it was preventative from laziness or fear from taking it. I just want to close now and have us think about gaining perspective. I know there's many things I had to skip over. Uh, feel free to read Deuteronomy 2 and 3 when you go home. Uh, this was the stepping back in time. We're thinking about the, the difficult times that they had when God finally said, all right, you spent long enough, now the time to move on. And we will face in our own life different consequences, but God will at a certain point say, okay, now's the time to move on. Now he takes us back and helps us to look at history from his perspective, where we see his faithfulness, his grace, and his supply. God always wants to make his self magnanimous, great and mighty. Not more than he is, but just what he is. To step back in time. To gain the Lord's perspective of our lives. Now I want to close by asking you two questions. The first question, what does God want to do in and through your life? It is a general question, but I want it to be a specific question. You can be thinking of a big thing, a big event in your life, or a small event in your life. You might think, for example, of one of those fears that you have. I cannot overcome this sin in my life. I cannot break up with this uh, non-Christian girlfriend. I cannot, you know, it could be something maybe very big for you, but small, uh, perhaps in the light of all things. <clears throat> what does God want to do in and through your life? Because this is the thing that God was bringing before the Israelites. He's asking them to do something, to make a big commitment to him. Now he does it in small amounts and sometimes brings it to bigger amounts. Is it, what is he, maybe you've started a new job recently, you're gonna be graduating, and he's putting on your heart how am I going to keep God as a focus of my life and not the things I earn or my job? How am I going to tie my world with God's world? How 
how is God going to come into my job, or maybe I just had a child, into my family? How is God going to do that in my life? But secondly, more focused on gaining perspective, how has the Lord readied you for this? Because this is all what this message is about. How God readied Israelite to get them to that point where that second door was. Well, in the same way, God has worked through your life. Have you ever gone back and looked at how he's built you up in your life? If you say, I never could overcome that sin. But what about other things he's done in your life? Did you look how he did those things? Did you see his faithfulness? Did you see his power? Did you see his love? Did you see how now you have faith? What you couldn't do before, you're doing. This is God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you see, you just sit back. But you see, God is leading you. Because God always wants to establish and strengthen our faith that we can grow. Maybe God always given in your heart. You have the gift of giving, and you never really dared to give. And you say, well, you know, I want to give, I always dreamed of giving, you know, half my salary away, you know, to what God's doing around the world. But I never dared get there. People might laugh at me, or I might go without some things. But you see, what's the vision that God's giving you? Each of us have a spiritual gift. But have you ever fully stepped into those spiritual gifts and allowed God to overcome those fears and say, all right, God's somehow going to do this. It's there, the gift of mercy. I don't know what to say to someone if I went to the hospital, but I really care about them. Gift of mercy, someone in the hospital, connect it. And you will see God give you the words or the quietness, whatever it needs. If you just lean on him. You see, some of these are small to us. For other people, they're a breeze, no problem. They can just do it without thinking. But for us, it's like, whoa, a big commitment to take that step forward. Now, there are big commitments sometimes. You know, God says, well, you know, you need to go into full-time service. And he said, whoa, I don't know about that. Now, there are big things, that, and big by big, we only mean it's actually many decisions together bigger change in life but actually everything when we make ourselves available to God his spirit comes in our lives and he begins to live through our lives to bring his love and grace to other people that's his big plan and he wants to use each one of us in that plan we welcome you to visit the biblical foundations for freedom website www.foundationsforfreedom.net